Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. my sister in Jesus, Myra. Do you know that uh, she moved here from Seattle? Oh, it's been about three or four years, but uh, yay, Seattle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yay, Myra. Yeah, that's right. But, um, but the beauty of her singing up here tonight is, or today, is, is that she had this voice, but she didn't know she really had it. And she came to a little audition thing, and they had this meeting, and and Elizabeth, you know, who sang with her, she's a professional worship artist, and, and she heard her, and she said, she told me, she said, Myra can do things I can't do, and, 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 but what happened, one of the things we believe in around here is we want to call out the gifts that are within you. Everyone, we all have different gifts. We call those gifts out, and thank you for using your gift for Jesus, Myra. You're a blessing. You're a blessing. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't realize you had brought your own fan club today, but yeah, it's good to see you on Resurrection Sunday today. You know, in traditional churches, in traditional Christianity, there is, there, there's, a way that, there's a certain thing that you do on that Resurrection Sunday, and you're supposed to say, he is risen, like, like I will say, he is risen, and you have to do a responsive thing. So you say, he is risen indeed. Can you say that? He is risen indeed. Okay, so I'll, I'll practice it with you. He is risen. He is risen okay, you guys do it. Now, a lot of people just practice it that way, but I studied it. <laughs> and the, the, the tradition in the church goes a step further. It does. It, it goes a step further. Now, I'll just tell you what the tradition is. When you say he is risen indeed, you're supposed to, like whoever is, is next to you, you're supposed to kiss their cheek and then their other cheek, and then their other cheek. So you have to kiss three times, which is like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you kiss a cheek, kiss a cheek, kiss a cheek. And I was like, that is really, I didn't know that was part of that tradition. So I'll go, he is risen. Then you say, he is risen indeed. Then you kiss the person next to you, you know, one, two, three, on their cheeks. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Now, so, oh, wait, some of y'all want to do this, all right? Okay, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll do it, we'll do it. Um, but, but if you're single, some of you are getting really excited. The single people are going, yes. No. If you're single, you know, just, you just do the he is risen part, okay? But if you're married, if you're married, you can go ahead and do, like, kiss each other's cheeks. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. I know this is, I know it's weird, but let's just have a little bit of fun here. This is, if, if we want to, like, do ancient Christian traditions, that's one of them. I've never done this in church before. Never, never. All right. So I'll say he is risen, he is risen indeed, and then kiss, 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 okay? Only married couples. <laughs> Let's have fun here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Go. Wait, some of you are kissing on the lips. That is, that's not the plan. That's, that's not even in the Bible. 
I guess none of it's in the Bible, but hey, it's good to see you today. Open your Bibles up to two locations, Exodus chapter 25 and John chapter 20. Exodus 25 and John 20. I'll leave those up on the screens here for just a moment, and uh, I want you to to find those. While you're looking those up, uh, I'm starting a brand new series of messages called Resilient next week, and it's about when you're down and you feel like everything has just beat you down. How do you get back up? How do you get rolling again? So we're going to have three characters from the Bible about how God helped them to get going. I'll be talking about that. Also, I'm excited because our foyer remodeling team is, is back in motion. So we're going to get that foyer completely remodeled, get new lighting. We're looking at new lighting, a new welcome station, a new next station, some new furniture, and all kinds of cool stuff out there. And we're going to have some demolition. We're going to demolish some stuff out there. So guys, we're going to have a fun Saturday up here tearing stuff up. That's one of the fun things about, about projects like you just get to come and tear stuff up. Uh, I like it. It's a lot of fun. Well, we'll let you know about when that when that's getting ready to happen. And again, just want to thank my mom for, for being with me here in service today. Thank you, my brother Wendell, for bringing her from your place up in White Right and coming all the way down here into the deep south, down to Fort Worth. But, uh, but mom, thank you for being here today. God bless you. You are the matriarch. And uh, thank you again, as I shared earlier, for raising us right for doing it, for modeling it for us. I'm glad I'm not sitting next to you today because if I if I made a noise or did something wrong, you'd reach over and pinch me, you know, like you did growing up all those years. And uh, but I deserved every bit of it. All right, I did. But welcome, I honor you today, Mom. God bless you. Uh, and Wendell, thank you again. Good to see you, my brother. Well, today's message is entitled Easter and the Mercy Seat. Easter and the Mercy Seat. Now, some of you might not know what the mercy seat is. Maybe you've heard of it before, but you're not quite sure. Well, you will know by the end of today's message. Uh, and, and, and I want you to know this one thing before we get started. There is hope in Jesus because of the mercy seat. Now, God's plan from the very, very beginning was that man would have eternal life. That, that was always God's plan. But when sin entered in, in the garden, those plans were thwarted. And so God had to redesign things so that we could get back on track. And we will eventually get back on track. And we're still kind of in the middle of that. But, uh, but we're looking forward to living eternally. And, and, and what God did is God designed a system so that people could be set free from sin, guilt, shame, condemnation. They could have all of that wiped out. And it started with something called the mercy seat. And it's found in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. That's where we first hear about that. And that's where we're going to look here in just a second. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. Moses and the children of Israel, they had left Egypt. They had escaped Egypt. And, and, uh, and they were in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Well, they stopped at Mount Sinai where God gave uh, Moses the Ten Commandments plus a lot of other information on how to, uh, how to lead God's people. And one of the things God, God told Moses was to design a portable worship center. It was called the tabernacle. Wherever they went in the wilderness, they would have that with them. And, and the central feature of this was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, some of you just got really excited. You said, yeah, I've seen that movie with Indiana Jones. I know all about the Ark of the Covenant. Don't you dare open it. Okay. There's a little bit of weirdness there, okay? But, but, but I do want to talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant there because it was the central part of that worship center called the Tabernacle. And, uh, and what happened with me is uh, I, I like reading through the Bible. My dad taught me to do that years ago. And, and, and so I, I was reading through the Bible. And I got to Exodus chapter 25, and I just froze on this verse. 
Exodus 25, 17. I just stopped right there. And I was, I was just, I thought, there's, there's so much more to this than what I'm seeing right here. And so I marked it, and, and I came back, and I just started studying and studying and studying. And then after a while, I was like, I've, I've, got, to, I've got to make a sermon out of this. This is going to have to be my, my sermon on Easter Sunday. And so I'm presenting to you a journey of some of the amazing things I've discovered about the mercy seat of God. See, the mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It, it was this slab of solid, pure gold. And I'll just take a look at it here in the Scripture. Let's read through it together. God said to Moses, make an atonement cover, that goes over the ark, of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets, that's the Ten Commandments, of the covenant law that I will give you. Now look at this. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you the commands for the Israelites. Now, that is the mercy seat. God designed the specific place where God would bring revelation, where God would bring his directives, and it would also be a place where guilt, shame, condemnation, sin would be wiped clean. It's the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubim. So, so the cherubim, they actually formed a seat for God. That's why it's called the mercy seat. Let me tell you a little bit about, about some of this cherubim. Uh, that's plural. Cherub is singular so that you understand the difference between the two. But cherubim, they are fierce angels. They are, these are the angels that are the protectors of the presence of God. They're pr- the protectors of the throne of God, the protectors of God himself. These are the most intense angels that, of, of all the angels, we believe. Now, in our culture, <laughs> there, are some, there are these little images of these fat little fluffy things that float around in the sky that have tiny little wings, and we call those cherubs. Now, if that's, if that's your picture of what a cherub is, it is so off because a cherub is a fierce, intense, strong, mighty angel, the protectors of the throne itself. You, you got, it's, in a sense, it's like they are the ultimate bodyguards. You see that? that that's, that's really what they are. Now, what would happen Back at the time of Moses, there was this day appointed by God called the Day of Atonement. It came around once a year, and the high priest, only one person, one person, he would go through all of these ceremonies, and then he would be able to go behind this special curtain. There's a curtain about four inches thick, huge, thick curtain, and he was the only one who could go back there once a year, and he would take the blood of an innocent animal, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And in doing so, God said... He would atone for the sins of all of God's people for a year. And that was was what he got to do. So only one person got to do it. Sins were atoned for for a year. 
And what it also allowed is it allowed for God's wrath to be turned away from his people because, because sin always demands the wrath of God. There, that is a law of God. There's, no, there's just no way around it. Something has to experience that wrath. And so that's what the blood is for. It's the animal took the wrath and that blood is sprinkled there. So God says, okay, the sins are atoned for for one year. Now, this also like reconciled God with his people. It was an incredible act. But, but, but what's amazing is between the wings of the cherubim, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that's where the presence of God dwelt. Now, it even goes a little bit deeper because in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16, we see that it's literally called the throne of God. In Isaiah 37, 16, it says, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. That's incredible. So when, when you think about it, this lid to the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubim, they were really the only objects in the entire tabernacle everywhere that was made of solid gold. Therefore, that part that part right there was the most precious, the most holy, I would say the most special part of all the temple worship at that time, the mercy seat, that solid gold slab, that solid gold throne where the presence of God dwelt. So the throne of God is the mercy seat. That is the throne of God. God was seated there between the wings of the cherubim. That's where God spoke to Moses. That's where the blood was sprinkled to atone for the sins of all of God's people. Now, the Ark of the Covenant has been missing for about 2,700 years, and nobody can say for sure exactly what it looks like. Uh, many believe, and I believe also, that it was just spectacular, that it was beautiful because of the descriptions that's in the Old Testament. It, it, it was. And and that part of the, the solid gold slab and the, and the, and the, the, the cherubim, it would have been massive. It would have been incredible. And also to even think that you're, you're actually looking at the throne of God. But nobody was even allowed to look at it except the high priest once a year. Now, that's so incredible. Now, I want us to keep all that in mind, but I want us to fast forward. Fast forward to the tomb where Jesus' body was laid. Uh, Jesus was crucified and he was buried on a Friday, which was what, what, what we call Good Friday. And Saturday was the Sabbath, but Sunday was the day when Jesus was resurrected. Now, this is recorded in all four of the Gospels, uh, but, but I'm going to use the, the references from John chapter 20 because it was in the early pre-dawn hours of Sunday, Mary Magdalene, now, she's this woman who was one of Jesus' followers. She came to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And I, I, I want us to go ahead and look now at John chapter 20, verse 11, because what, what she came up to was, was the massive stone had been rolled away. Uh, she couldn't figure out what was going on, because, but Jesus had been resurrected. And, and where was this Jesus? Well, she was about to see something amazing when she peered into the tomb. John chapter 20, verse 11 now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white. Other version that I read earlier says that they looked like a light. They were clothed in lightning. Brilliant. They were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. Massive angels. You seeing this? 
And then I talked to her. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She realized it was Jesus. But before she saw Jesus, she peered in there and she saw the mercy seat. She did. Now, I want us to think, who is this girl? Why does she get to see what nobody else got to see? That particular image. I think it was part of God's design, part of God's plan, because this particular follower of Jesus had a, had a really rough past. In fact, seven demons had been cast out of her. And this is the woman that Jesus had set free from guilt and shame and sin and condemnation and drove hell out of her life. And God chose her to be the one to get to see the mercy seat live. She got to experience the majesty of God. Now, when she peered in there, she didn't see something that was solid gold like the Ark of the Covenant. No, actually what she got to see was something better. It was real life. She saw that slab and she saw the two angels on each side that were, th- that were right there and she would have seen their, their wings, massive angels because she knew they were angels. And, and, and between them, other other uh, instances in the Gospels, we, we know that the blood-spattered clothing of Jesus was laying between them in the middle of that slab. The blood of the Lamb of God. Perfect Lamb of God. She was looking at the mercy seat. See, the mercy seat, the throne of God, was the empty tomb. Jesus' own blood was on that slab between those angels. The throne of God is the mercy seat. And because of the mercy seat, we are free from guilt, shame, condemnation, and sin. John the Baptist said this is he, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God. And, and the blood of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus was right there on that slab between the two angels. What a sight. Did Mary know what she was looking at at that moment? I don't know if she put it all together or not. I, I, I doubt it, but it's recorded in the scriptures for a reason. So that we will know that something amazing happened. And the beauty of this, because of what Jesus did, is sins are forgiven for eternity, not just a year, not just a a little pause that's put in there. No, no, sin is forgiven for eternity. And that empty tomb, really, the, the, the image of that empty tomb is really, that is the symbol of what Jesus Christ died for. The beauty of this is, but that's not where it ends. It gets better. You see, Jesus, the Lamb of God, even told Mary, I I have to ascend to the Father. See, he had to ascend up to his Father, to the throne in heaven, to sprinkle his own blood on that throne in heaven. Now, we know this because the Apostle John says later on, he sees this vision of heaven and eternity. And he says says this in in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. He says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, 
but it was standing at the center of the throne. So John later on has this vision of a future in heaven where there's, there's literal blood-spattered lamb on the throne of God. It should be dead, but it's alive. And, and, the, and the, the cherubim are surrounding this throne. I mean, you can read about it all through the Bible, the, these, all through the uh, Old Testament, is the cherubim are right there. I mean, they are surrounding the throne of God. It all goes back. It's all part of the story. It's all part of the plan. I mean, the mercy seat, the throne of God is going to be in eternity. I can't wait. I can't wait to see that with you. We're going to get to see that. We're going to experience it. I can't wait. Well, but we're not in heaven yet. So we're kind of in this in-between time between the tomb and heaven. Now, where's the mercy seat right now? Well, I want to talk to you about where the throne of God is right now. It's not in the tabernacle or the temple because those are gone. In fact, it's, I think it's very interesting that there is no tabernacle. There is no temple there is no Ark of the Covenant. You can't find any of those anymore. I, I think that's all part of God's orchestrated plan so that we don't go and look for one of those things to find the presence of God. Those things do not exist. We can't see it because we're not in eternity yet. We're not in heaven. So what do we do? Well, take a look at this. Understand this. Our bodies, the Bible tells us, our bodies have now become the temple of God. So if we're the tabernacle, if we are the temple, then where is that central place where God works miracles? Well, I know it's the, not the empty tomb because Jesus and the angels have departed there. But the New Testament says since we are the throne, we are the temple of God, that means the throne of God exists within us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, I want you to look at this. It's on the screens. There's this author writing to Christian Jews, and he said this. He says, since we have confidence... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and that's beautiful right there because of what Jesus does, we can have confidence to go right in. Just like Mary Magdalene had confidence and she got to see something that nobody else had gotten to see. The, like the, the girl who had had the most problems, the girl whose life was more messed up than anyone else who followed Jesus, that woman got to see and experience it all, which is a testament for us. But he says here, we have confidence, all of us, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, which is Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. That means we just are going to believe it. We're going to believe and believe and believe. And look at this next part. Having our hearts sprinkled, that means sprinkled with the blood. He was talking to Jews. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from what? The guilty conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, God has worked the miracles so that the throne of God is here. The mercy seat is here. The blood is sprinkled on us, everyone individually. He goes on to say this because we understand this and because we have this privilege now of carrying God with us. He says, so let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we can spur one another on. That means, you know what spurs are? Come on, we're from Fort Worth. You should know what spurs are. We spur one another on. You 
dig the spurs into the horse, and the horse is going to move, right? So we kind of have, we, we've got to do that with each other in a nice way, but not causing harm, right? We spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I'll tell you this. If you're a believer, your heart has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Your guilty conscience has been cleansed. You are saved. And, and another thing I just believe is that, that that brings huge angels to surround you because they're going to protect the mercy seat. And God sits on the throne of your hearts. And because of this, because this has happened in us, then church, keep your hope alive. God is faithful to the promises he has already given you and keep encouraging keep strengthening each other do good works for his glory keep coming to church because the coming of jesus is close when i was three years old lived in montesano washington and i can guarantee nobody in this room has ever been there other than the two people sitting right over there i remember my dad preaching in that church in fact, I looked it up on Google Earth, and they still have, they had like three crosses um, on the back. Do you remember those, Mom? And I, I, they still have those in the church. I, I looked it up on Google. It's fun how you can look those things up. They haven't done any decor in that church in 50 years or so. But I remember sitting there in that church and my dad preaching, but he, but he, he spoke about having Jesus in your heart. Now, he gave an altar call, and people responded, but I was really touched by that. I didn't respond, though, because, of course, he's my dad. And uh, we, I, we have this thing where, I, like, preacher's kids go home with the preacher. And so I could chat with him anytime. We could have a whole long discussion about that. So I had a little bit of an edge on everybody else. And, and, I, and, and I remember I got to thinking about it while I was at home. And, and I have vague memories of it. My dad has helped me to fill in the gaps. But I do remember this. I remember walking into my dad in the living room, clearly, three years old. I remember asking him, Daddy, how do you get Jesus in your heart? I mean, does he come in through your mouth? Because I thought, I was like, yeah, it's a little kid. I want him in. But, and dad, he smiled at me, didn't make fun of me, chuckled a little bit. He said, no, all you got to do is ask him to come in. I said, really? He said, do you want to? I said, yeah. So he said, come here, pick me up and put me on his lap. Oh, I remember it. I remember it so clear. I remember his arm around me. He said, I'm just going to pray a prayer, and you just say these words with me. You're going to invite him in. It's real simple. I prayed this prayer with my dad, and I repented of all the wicked sins of a three-year-old, you know, the sins of breaking out of the house and running around the neighborhood or the sins of sneaking and getting cookies out of the kitchen when I wasn't supposed to or the horrible sins of my mom thinking I was taking a nap, but I was really praying, playing, you know, not praying, playing. <laughs> I was not doing much praying at that time, but... Still, my dad recalls, and I also recall, tears started coming out of my eyes. It's a three-year-old. Now, why? It's because at that point, my heart was sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And Jesus came in and made my heart his throne. And even as a little child, even though I didn't understand all the theology about it, and I still don't even understand it all, but God came to live in me, and I felt it, and I was new, and I was changed, and I was glad. wouldn't want anyone to miss the opportunity to have Jesus in their life as well. The blood of Jesus sprinkled on your heart 
your heart becoming his throne. So the question I'll leave you with today is who's on the throne of your heart? Is are you on the throne? Or is it sprinkled with the blood of Jesus? Is he on the throne? Before we move into a time of Holy Communion, I, I want us to take a moment and search our hearts. If you're here this morning and you're not in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I want you to be, I urge you to be, I urge you just to pray this prayer with me and receive Christ into your life. Would you do that? Would you do that? In fact, everyone, just bow your heads all across this room. And, and if, if you're here today and you want to make things right with God, you want to invite him into your life. You want to make your heart his throne. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with everybody. But I want, to, I want to know who you are so I can connect my faith with you. So would you just, at the count of three, lift your hand up for me and say, yeah, that's me. I, I really want that today. I really want that. Just raise your hand at the count of three until I acknowledge you, and then you'll put it back down. Can we do that one, two, three? Lift your hand all across this room. Thank you. you're ready to make the decision to follow Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Church, I want you to pray it as well, the rest of the congregation, as, as, as like a reaffirmation of your faith and as an encouragement to those around you who are praying this, giving their lives to Christ. Let's all pray these words together to Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Sprinkle your blood on my heart. May my heart be your throne. I give my life to you. Forgive my sins. Wash away my iniquity. Today I make the choice to part with my past and to give you my future. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, Head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.